0: Sentire media. Hello, everyone. You're listening to A History of Italy. Recap Episode 5 from episodes 77 to 100. E non posso e così ritorno su. Before we start, a word from a couple of our sponsors. First of all, this episode is brought to you by State Bags. State Bags has beautiful, well made, inclusively cool products while using the power of business to give back, to shift the narrative around social injustice. For every state bag purchased, State hand delivers a backpack packed with essential tools for success to an American child in need. But their commitment goes beyond simply a material donation. State Bags has your back. And part of that commitment is making a difference in local kids' lives. To get you ready for your commute or wherever you are travelling next, State is offering our listeners 15% off their next purchase at StateBags.com using the code POD. That's 15% off your next purchase using the code POD at StateBags.com. StateBags, they have your back. Today's podcast is also presented by those lovely people at Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you, fellow podcasters, to monetize your podcast providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo and you always get it and usually on the same day. Apply today to become a member and immediately get connected with advertisers that suit your audience because there's no obligation to include ads and you can choose the ones you prefer. That's Podgo.co. At podgo.co, and be sure to add a history of Italy in the How Did You Hear About Podgo section of the application. So, here we are at the fifth recap episode. This time, we're covering a bit less time in the same number of episodes. Indeed, although we are looking at episodes from 77 to 100, we are only moving on about 50 years. We started off looking at the aftermath of the death of Holy Roman Emperor Frederick II in 1250. He was the Stupor Mondi, the wonder of the world. His was the last real centralising power that could claim authority over the Kingdom of Italy, that is, northern Italy above the Papal States. What's more, Frederick also ruled over southern Italy, thanks to the marriage between his father, Holy Roman Emperor Henry VI, and Constance of Sicily. You could say that, with Frederick, the idea of real imperial power over northern Italy also died, at least as far as the Middle Ages are concerned. So, we started by looking at how our communes were getting on in that power vacuum, as they moved from the consular phase to the podesta phase, that is, when a single elected temporary ruler was called in from outside of the city. And we can now add that in some cases it is in the 13th century that we also started to see indications of the beginning of the Signoria, a name used to define a new hereditary power in the hands of single families that would come about more during the course of the 14th century, and we'll have a look at that as we move on. This would characterize almost all of northern Italy, and in part also the Papal States, due to the fact, in part, that the popes were off in Avignon for a sort of 70-year-odd holiday. Despite the fact that the 13th century saw the beginning of the end of the communes, it also marked their golden age. Many factors contributed to this. First of all, we could look at population growth in the peninsula. It is estimated, and obviously it can only be an estimate, that... In the year 1000, the entire population of the Italian peninsula stood at around 5.2 million. 150 years later, in 1150, it saw an increase of 40% to around 7.3 million. And finally, at the end of our 13th century in 1300, the population reached around 12.5 million, an increase of 70%. The interesting figure here, however, is the population of Italy at the end of the 13th century compared to the rest of Europe. Indeed, Italy made up around 18% of the total European population, which means that almost one in five people alive in this part of the late Middle Ages lived in Italy. So, there were more people around, heading into the cities, taking up professions and trying their luck and trade a middle class started to form and grow and eventually become part of the ruling class that was previously occupied by the nobility. This then caused an interesting discussion about said nobility and who was or was not a noble. We saw, for example, the case of a man who was considered a noble just because, well, everyone said he was, or others who were considered nobles because they had a horse or something like that. The discussion interestingly got to the point that people were trying to demonstrate that they were not nobles because by that time it was in a Guelph dominated scenario and it was a real no-no to actually be a noble. We looked at the example of Florence where nobles were getting chucked out left, right and centre. Speaking of trade and new classes, the period we are recapping saw a high point in the assertion and dominance of the maritime republics such as Venice, Genoa and Pisa. We may be popping back to visit Venice and maybe have a better look at Genoa relatively soon. The international trade networks of these communes brought in goods and wealth that then spread internally to the peninsula adding to what was already there and up to Europe along such important trade routes as the Via Francigena, the road up to France. These developments in commerce required a supporting infrastructure of insurance and banking, since merchants could hardly take all the risk of a venture upon themselves all the time and wander around the world with chests full of gold those involved in these fields grew in wealth and influence and we will see in florence that this led to the growing power of families such as the cerchi and eventually a certain little family called the medici trade as well as mentioning venice and genoa brought us to do a couple of episodes on the famous venetian explorer marco polo who was not really the first european to head off to china but He was the first to travel so extensively and so far and also actually become a part of the administration of the expanding Mongol Empire of the Khans. He then came home to play a more active role in Italian politics with his participation in the Battle of Curzola in 1298 in which his native Venice was defeated by Genoa and in which Marco Polo was captured and then, while in prison, found his writing buddy for his book Il Milione. The mention of the Battle of Curzola brings us to consideration that all this growth in wealth and influence of the Italian cities did not in any way mean that they were working in harmony and everybody loved each other and there was no fighting. One bone of contention, for example, in the internal cities in particular, was the influence of each of them over the surrounding contado, the farmable countryside which supplied the cities with the food they needed to support their growing populations. As cities grew, they would need to control more and more of the surrounding areas, inevitably coming into contact with neighbouring cities who were also looking to expand their influence over the Contado and that was definitely not a recipe for peaceful cohabitation. Heading back out to the coasts and Genoa and Venice, for example, the two great maritime republics towards the end of the 13th century managed to reach a balance and a truce. This was good news for both, but particularly for Genoa, who on their side, the western side of the peninsula, also had to deal with Pisa. The Genoese had dealt the Pisans a great defeat at the Battle of Meloria in 1284, but it had not been a mortal blow. Pisa still held influence, for example, over the island of Sardinia. At this time, the island was still divided into its four giudicati, the judicates of Torres, Gallura, Arborea and Calari, but the influence of powers such as Aragon, Pisa and Genoa was growing, signifying a coming end to the judicati. It is in this context that we can insert the story of King Enso, one of the sons of Frederick II. The title of king he held was tenuous at best, if not totally made up, because Sardinia had four judges, but no single king. Emperor Frederick had decided to give the title to his son after marrying him off to a widow of one of the four judges. What's more, the marriage was a failure and ended up being annulled. The title, however, stuck, thanks also to the propaganda of the northern commune of Bologna, Indeed, it was during the Battle of Fossalto, between the anti-imperial Bologna and the pro-imperial Modena, that Enzo was taken prisoner and ended up spending the rest of his days in Bologna, possibly, or not, impregnating a local girl and giving rise to one of the leading families of the city, the Bentivoglio. This was a source of great pride for the city, so they were particularly annoyed when, 75 years later, it would be overshadowed by a bucket. Yes, that's right, and we'll get there in just a couple of episodes.
1: That takes care
0: of one of Frederick II's sons, but there were another two, that is Conrad and Manfredi. The idea was that Conrad would be the emperor, ruling over all of the empire, while Manfredi would be his representative in the Kingdom of Sicily. Inevitably, a rift grew between the two brothers, but before it could get really ugly, Conrad died in 1254, and in the subsequent power vacuum, due to the fact also that Conrad's son Conradine was not only very young, but also rumoured dead, Manfredi went ahead and declared himself king of the kingdom of Sicily. Things went quite well for him for a while, and he actually managed to extend some form of influence over much of Italy. Many Ghibelline cities, you remember that the Ghibellines were the pro-imperial faction, in the north declared for him, and when the Tuscan Ghibellines defeated the Tuscan Guelphs in the battle of Montaperti in 1260, Tuscany also fell under Manfredi's influence. However, there was always one force that had to be reckoned with for any single growing power in the peninsula, and that was the papacy. In this particular case, to the traditional suspicion of the papacy for any force that would eventually encroach on the territory of the papal states, we add a particular hate that the papacy had for the Hohenstaufen dynasty. They really had it out for them. They did not like them at all. The popes were hell-bent, pun intended, on eradicating the family from the face of the earth. So it was that Charles of Anjou was called in and it was he who defeated and killed Manfredi at the Battle of Benevento in 1266. The last of the Staufen, Conradine, was then killed at the Battle of Tagliacozzo two years later in 1268, and Charles was now in charge of the Kingdom of Sicily. Before we remember how he did, a last word from one of our sponsors. Now, the stress of the American election may be over, perhaps, maybe, possibly. But there's always something to worry about. So why not take a moment occasionally to relax a bit? And you lucky lot in America could do so with Wild CBD. Indeed, this episode is presented by Wild CBD, who produces the best tasting edibles on the market, using real fruit and all natural flavouring, with flavours inspired by the Pacific Northwest. Not sure exactly what that means, but it does sound good high-quality ingredients, real fruit and consistent dosing. Wild has become one of the leading cannabis edible products in the country. Wild's new CBD line currently offers real fruit-infused gummies in blackberry, huckleberry, like huckleberry hound but nothing to do with dogs luckily, lemon and raspberry and CBD-infused sparkling water in raspberry, lemon, blackberry and blood orange. Each gummy is dosed with 25 milligrams of cbd and can be purchased in a bottle of 10 or 20 wild cbd is offering our listeners a gigantic 30 percent off their next purchase from wildcbd.com by using the code pod that's code pod for 30 percent off your next purchase and that's wild with a y Wild CBD products are intended only for use by individuals aged 18 and older, so you young children who are big fans of a history of Italy, you're not allowed, don't buy it. Wild CBD products should only be consumed as directed on the label, so read it carefully, and should not be used if you are pregnant or breastfeeding. You may have children that end up like me, so don't do it. All wild CBD products are made with ingredients containing 0% 0% THC which is the naughty component consult with a health professional prior to using wild CBD in combination with any medications or other dietary supplements so Charles of Anjou was in charge of the Kingdom of Sicily becoming Charles I. he did a pretty rubbish job alienating the local nobles and bringing in Angevin nobles and even interfering with the papal election so it would be delayed and he could use the moment of power vacuum to be more free, to do as he pleased. Things came to a head in Palermo when the rebellion of the Sicilian Vespers started a rebellion that saw many French on the island of Sicily killed and led to a war, that would not see a definitive end for 20 years, if not 60, considering how things continued. The Sicilian rebels knew they could not withstand Charles indefinitely, and called in Peter III of Aragon, who was married to Constance, the daughter of King Manfredi. Peter gladly came along, and was crowned King of Sicily by the Sicilian Parliament. The rebellion of the Vespers turned into the War of the Vespers and was continued by the heirs of the protagonists. Indeed, in 1285, Peter of Aragon and Charles of Anjou both died, along with the sitting Pope. Charles was succeeded by his son, Charles, who became the second, and Peter, as far as Sicily went, by his second son, James. Hostilities saw a temporary halt with the Peace of Anagni, in 1295, mainly because James's older brother had died, making him king of Aragon, and more interested in securing his holdings there, than Sicily, which he was now willing to cede, to the new Charles, however, James's younger brother, Frederick, who took James's place as king of Sicily, was having none of it, and continued the fight, so it was that in 1302, the peace of, Calta Bellotta saw a definitive division of what came to be known as the Kingdom of Sicily, which was now only the island of Sicily, and the Kingdom of Naples, which was all of southern Italy, south of the Papal States, excluding Sicily. Now, at the time, that was called the Kingdom of Sicily, and the actual Kingdom of Sicily was called Trinacria, but forget about that. The top bit was the Kingdom of Naples, and the bottom bit was the Kingdom of Sicily. Frederick, however, was not content with just ruling over his new kingdom and continued to nurture dreams of reuniting the whole kingdom while in 1308 the kingdom of Naples passed from Charles II to Robert and through the descent of Holy Roman Emperor Henry VII in 1310 which Frederick tried and failed to take advantage of. Things dragged on without much of a real effect except for sucking up resources all the way to the death of Frederick in 1336, and even beyond that with his son Peter II until his death in 1342, but that's going quite far ahead. We then turned our attention to our beloved communes again to see the first signs of their demise, with powerful noble figures such as Ezzelino da Romano in the northeast extending his influence over many northern cities. The issue was that the communes could not maintain the economy and infrastructure necessary for their growing needs, while also being constantly divided by factional fighting. In episode 89, we decided to look at an example of 13th century communal politics in Pisa with Ugolino della Gerardesca, made famous in Dante Alighieri's Inferno, having been closed up in a tower and then supposedly having eaten members of his family although that seems to be more a desire for gruesome details than actually what Dante meant in any case we traced Ugolino della Gerardesca's early career helping out the expansion of a branch of the Visconti family in Sardinia before coming back to his native Pisa to a position of power as Pisa struggled against its neighbours, and then losing it all and being imprisoned in a tower where he died a horrible death from starvation. We then spent a few episodes looking at the controversial papacy of Boniface VIII, and his struggles against loads of different people, basically, and factions in communes, and his organising the first jubilee before succumbing in the fight with the French king Philip the Fair. The popes then got a change of scenery when Clement V, elected in 1305, moved the papacy to Avignon, where it stayed under control of the French kings for over 70 years. We also then stopped to get a better look at the descent of Holy Roman Emperor Henry VII, Henry of Luxembourg, who ended up not really having a lasting effect, although he did provoke quite a few wasps' nests, provoking, as we have seen, the whole Naples versus Sicily question, and, as we will see, opening up the issue of the Signoria for everyone to see how things were changing. The names we have mentioned, Boniface VIII, Henry the VII, Ugolino della Gerardesca, are all connected to our good old, Dante Alighieri. We followed him from his youth when he met his love and muse Beatrice when they were children, who was the inspiration of his first important work, Vita Nuova. We saw how he was a forerunner in the Dolce Stil Nuovo, a style of writing that used the vernacular Italian language rather than the more widespread Latin and spoke of platonic love for angelic female figures. So no naughtiness going around there. On a more concrete level, we saw how, as a young man, he participated in the Battle of Campaldino, which basically saw the end of Ghibelline influence in Tuscany. Then, after mourning for the death of Beatrice, we saw him get married and enter politics. Just at the wrong time, when the Guelphs of Florence were splitting into white Guelphs led by the Cerchi family and the black Guelphs led by the Donati. We saw that the blacks came out on top and Dante, being a white Guelph, was exiled. It is in his exile that he wrote his masterpiece and the nightmare of Italian high school students, The Divine Comedy, and finally died in exile in Ravenna in 1321. We then moved on from the great city of Florence to what would soon become perhaps the most important city in northern Italy and would eventually become a duchy, Milan. We followed there the struggle between the Della Torre family and the Visconti, who eventually came out on top in 1310 with Matteo Visconti at their head and, despite very strong opposition from the Pope, started the expansion that would transform Milan into a powerful duchy. So that has brought us up to, and in some cases, beyond the start of the 14th century. The Renaissance is on its way, and in some cases has already started. We've spoken, for example, about Dante and Petrarch, but we also have a certain Giotto roaming around the country at this time, as well as many others. As we enter the 14th century, things will continue to be interesting. Stick with us. Thanks very much to everyone for listening. Thanks in particular to my lovely Patreon supporters, starting with the second part of the Margarita Hack and Galileo Galilei level, marxist leninist Sicilian Mike M. Neville, Paradise, Patrizia Kappa, Peter W., Rene B., Roberta D., Rodney N., The Question Master, Rudy F., Sam, Scott L., Shelby, and Stephen, and of course the Tippy Top, Maria Montessori, and Dante Ligieri level, Paolo, Lisa K., J.W., Andrew M., Brandon S., Maxime, David, and Sen. Thank you, thank you, one and all. Remember, If you so wish, you can get in touch. Hello at ahistoryofitaly.com At the same URL, you can click through to our social media. We're on Twitter and Facebook. Or you can go to our support page, where you can become a Patreon supporter and have access to extra content or you can donate via PayPal, or if you so wish, you can buy a copy of the book, The K Rock Chelsea Hotel, about the Chelsea Hotel in New York, which has not much to do with Italian history, but it is written by me to also help support the podcast. Thanks again to everyone for listening, and until next time, Arrivederci.
1: And we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy. With us, you can savor the mouth-watering flavors, get lost in the stories from the past, break down the cultural barriers, and truly immerse yourself in the vibrant traditions of this intoxicating country. If you have a great podcast idea or are already in production and would like to join Sentire Media, head over to sentiremedia.com that's S-E-N-T-I-R-E media.com and find out how to submit your show.